Jennifer Polymus from Shalote, North Carolina, and this is Barbecue City. Let's go! We'll do it live. Okay. Well, do it live! I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live! So to get that perfect barbecue, you use wood. Are you sure it's safe? Whatever. We put the lighter fluid on, strike your match, and... Oh. Should we call the fire department? That might be a good idea. Welcome to the really big barbecue central show. This is the show that talks about all things important in the world of barbecue and grilling. The show originating from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame City, Bomb City, USA, Cleveland, Ohio, the barbecue capital of the North Coast. I'm your program host, Greg Rempe. Happy to have you aboard here on your Tuesday evenings, live fire, fun, and frivolity show. If you want to get in touch with the show tonight, if you want to follow it during... We'll do it live. All right. <laughs> okay. All right. We're through it. If you want to get in touch with the show or follow me socially outside of normal show hours, here's how you do that. You can get in touch with the show by sending an email to Greg at the BBQ Central Follow us on all the social media channels at BBQ Central Show. And be sure to subscribe to the show podcast feed on your favorite podcast platform. Anything else you want to find out about the show can be found at the main website, the BBQ Central And here's what's happening in case you can get the newsletter. Coming up in about 12 minutes from now, a quarterly guest, used to be a monthly guest, now quarterly guest, and what I would refer to as, if not the an icon in the industry, writer of cookbooks, TV show host, cooking class instructor, and the list goes on, Stephen Reichlin will be joining us 14 past the first hour. And then after Stephen... Third Tuesday of the month, regular guest in the 35 past the first hour spot, creator of cookoutnews.com, Wes Wright. We'll join the show. And then we'll move to the second hour where you will find quarterly guest on the third Tuesday of every month and the creator of the How uh, Hey Grill Hey brand website and associated landscapes and products, Susie Bullock. Perhaps a Todd Bullock sighting. But definitely a Susie Bullock, so excited to have her back as well. And then 35 past the second hour, I'm leaving open once again because we're going to have plenty to get to as it relates to some other topics that I'll get to here in just one second. By the way, before we get into any of that, and I don't usually queue up any of the instant comments right off the bat, but Ant S in the YouTubes is saying, speaking of Blackstone CEO, which is the YouTube poll question of the week that I'll talk about here in a second. Speaking of a Blackstone CEO, what a professional interview when he said, quote, we love dicks, unquote, and Greg did not so much as even giggle. Look, Ant S, if there's nothing else you're going to get from me on the show, it is professionalism 
followed by a heaping handful of decorum. So no, I didn't. To be honest, it just went right over my head. Usually I live in that gutter. I did not live in that gutter last week because I was hobnobbing with the elite ant. So of course I couldn't allow myself to pull down into the gutter like the rest of the centralites. However, we'll move on from there. If you don't follow me socially, please do so. Instagram, X, TikTok, and Snapchat, all at the handle at BBQ Central Show. I say good evening to those of you watching tonight through one of our video streaming platforms. You can go to Facebook and Twitch slash BBQ Central Show to watch. Also, you can do it on YouTube, which is YouTube.com slash at BBQ Central Show. Whereas I'd mentioned before, we have a new YouTube poll question of the week. And I'm asking you, the listener slash watcher, you agree with Roger Daly from Blackstone Griddles will command 40% of the market at some point. And currently, 57% of you are saying you agree. 43% of you are saying no. So pretty close to a 50-50 split. At this point, I thought right off the bat it would be the nose carrying the day. But this just goes to show what kind of a stranglehold griddle cooking, generally speaking, has on the market right now. We'll see if that continues. I will ask all of the guests here this evening that question. I will tell you right now, I'm going to give you a final update at the end of the show, and we know I will not do that. However, we're trying every week. So let's start here this evening, and forgive me if you're here early for the Meathead Hits Bomb City USA recap, along with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame recap, or maybe you're here for the latest Memphis in May news, because there have been some big developments in that regard since the show last week. But that all has to wait either until the top of the second hour where you will hear the Meathead recap or the end of the show, 35 past the second hour. We will rediscover and re-update, re-update, update you with the latest that's happening, Memphis in May. Again, it's all got to wait. Both of those items extremely important. And again, we will be recovering. <laughs> we will be covering those during the show tonight. However... The story that jumps the show tonight has to do with the show itself. And I thought it was going to happen perhaps later in the week after two of these podcasts were released into the feed. However, noon Eastern today, or perhaps a little bit earlier than that, we might as well use this out. Barbecue Central Show exclusive news update. That's right. Greg Rapper reporting for the breaking news desk here in Cleveland, Ohio, Bomb City, USA, the city that breaks the most live fire breaking news across the country day of the globe. As of noon, the sea, uh, this afternoon, perhaps a little bit earlier, the Barbecue Central Show hit and then crossed over the three million total audio downloads. Threshold. So first and foremost, the thank yous have to go out to the listener, the downloader, the show, the person that does not take in the show live, the person that fell in love with the show in the very first form it was ever born in, which was podcast. You fell in love with that way so much you stuck with it, even though there is now a live show 16 years almost into the making. You have held firm to listening at your convenience, to doing it at whatever time you want, saving it for long drives, mowing the yard with it on Saturdays during warmer months if you're in that type of thing. Whatever reason you're listening to it on audio podcast, 
you, listener, subscriber, dare I say, friend o' mine, have pushed the show into the stratosphere of Live Fire podcasts, I don't think I'm going too far out on a limb when I say that there's nobody even close sniffing 3 million total downloads here on the show. I didn't realize we were going to cross it this fast. Uh, earlier uh, yesterday, I believe I was talking about, we were four or 5,000 downloads off of crossing the 3 million threshold. But then as I go back and look at it, you remember when I was being held hostage by the website folks, and then I was relieved of my captivity when I found Jotful.com, who is now hosting and created my really cool website that you see now and have for the last handful of months. Well, even before the hostages took over, at some point, you know, I'm not going to bore you with the weeds of what happens in a podcast and technology and feeds and mirror feeds and all that other BS, because you'll be in Snoozeville in one second. But at some point years ago, and I didn't even realize it until I just by chance started looking into the old, old archives. From about 2018 uh, on, older I mean. So if you subscribe, depending on which platform you use, Google's all effed up. But Apple Podcasts should show episodes dating all the way back to February 14th of 2008 that was the second ever episode of the live show so you should see a whole list well from that show in february of 2008 all the way until like the middle of 2018 you couldn't get those downloads all of a sudden somewhere along the line those shows got disconnected so i hired i don't know why i'm doing air quotes i'm paying her i hired my oldest daughter showed her what to do, and she has been diligently reconnecting all of the shows from 2008 uh, all the way up until wherever 2018 finally takes over and is showing correctly. She's in 2015, 2016 here, so she's been doing it very well. I'm paying her by the show. She's about ready to make over $1,000 in less than a week, but she's also carrying the majority of show write-ups so you have an idea of who's in there. If you have search capability on your podcast platform, you're going to be able to put in uh, keywords or guest names or whatever, and it should return those shows that have those search requirements in it. I know Doug Scheide is going to be very happy about that. Uh, if you don't have any of that, I would say Pocket Cast is an app you would want to get on your phone. I know you can search through there, through my show archive specifically. There's also a uh, desktop app that you can pay for. I think it's 40 bucks a year, whatever it is. It's much more uh, integrated as far as search is concerned that way. But I would say by the end of the week, because Friday is Bobby's last day here at home before she goes back to school, she will have 2018 and older reconnected for you to play. So you can go all the way back to the very first live shows ever and listen to get... I'm telling you right now, as I'm going through it, there are people that I can't believe I've interviewed all the way back in 2010 and 2009. It's mind-blowing. So if you've gotten back that far, you've realized the shows don't work, don't get discouraged. 
Next week, make a tickler file notification to go back in and start checking out the old, old archives. I'm sure John Solberg is going to be tickled pink as well. Uh, we're going to wait for Stephen Reichland to join the show, as he should here in a few short moments. I'll talk to you quickly about pits and spits. If you are tired of settling for mediocre grilling experiences, it's time to step up your game and bring the ultimate flavor and cooker to the backyard barbecues. Pits and spits charcoal cookers and grills offer the highest quality live fire cooking experiences that you can get in the market today. Using either wood or charcoal, their solid fuel grills produce those classic flavors you're looking for when you have the time to fire up the grill and cook for family and friends with a large adjustable fuel tray. You can raise and lower the fire to control that temperature and fine-tune the heat. This is their take on a very popular Santa Maria-style grill. Check them out at pitandspits.com slash Central and use promo code CHARCOALCENTRAL, all one word, CHARCOALCENTRAL, for 150 bucks off any charcoal grill on their website. Or you can call in. Use the same keyword, get the same 150 bucks off. And again, as we say each and every week, an heirloom quality piece. So it will last your entire lifetime. It will last your children's lifetime or your neighbor or your cousin, whoever you end up giving it to that's a live fire lover. It will last generations to come. It will be the item that is argued about and bequeathed through wills, through generations. Live fire. Pitsandspits.com slash BBQ Central. That's pitsandspits.com slash BBQ Central. For 150 bucks off your charcoal grill, that's Charcoal Central. We'll be back with Stephen Reichlin. We'll see. Stick around. We'll be right back. Broadcasting live from the Barbecue Central Show Studios in Cleveland, Ohio. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Show. Once again, here's your host, Greg Rempe. Welcome back. This portion of the show being brought to you by CookinPellets.com, your number one source for quality wood pellets for all your pellet-driven cookers. You can visit cookandpellets.com and peruse their product portfolio. And then when you're ready to buy, go to amazon.com or lowes.com or walmart.com. Same great prices, perhaps even better. And great shipping rates as well. The good folks over at cookandpellets.com. Let me wrap up my thought before we get to Stephen Reichland. So as I meandered off topic as I usually do talking about the big achievement, I want to thank everybody that has subscribed to the show even if you've subscribed and only listened to one show, it doesn't matter. They all add up, and that has gotten us over that 3 million total download mark here just before noon here this, uh, just before noon this morning. So very thankful to all the podcast listeners, all the podcast subscribers. Please keep telling your friends. Please keep telling your neighbors. Please keep telling anybody that will listen that there's a show that, if they're into this kind of thing, covers the niche pretty well. And we've been doing it a long time, and we have only the high-line level industry guests. Speaking of one, a TV show host, a writer of something called the Barbecue University, a James, I'm sorry, Barbecue 
Bible, a teacher at Barbecue University and founder there, a James Beard award-winning author, and some of the most important cookbooks is the ones I had just mentioned. We're welcoming back our pal Stephen Reichland to the show. Stephen, before we get going tonight, let's go ahead and do the YouTube poll question of the week. Last week, I had CEO of Blackstone Products, which are the makers of the very famous Blackstone Griddle, and I asked him, so I met with this guy March in person at the HPB Expo in Louisville and asked him what he thought the market could command from a griddle level. And at the time, he said 35%. And so I followed up with him last week. And I said, how do you think that's aging? And he said, you know what, Greg? I think it's a little light. I think griddling could command 40% of the market. Where does Stephen Reichlin sit with that? Yes or no? 40% of the market. I agree. You do? I absolutely agree. Now, look, uh, I know you love griddling. You call it plancha cooking. You've been a big fan of that. I see griddle of all sorts, makes and models become available for retail over the last couple of years. Here's why I'm surprised that you would say that. Now, we're talking 40% of the market. We're not talking like 6% or 8% like pellet cookers have or whatever, you know, whatever they used to have before their big spur of popularity. But I thought for sure you would say no, because in my thought, and correct me or tell me where you differ on this. There's one thing missing with griddle cooking and why I think it won't reach to 40% when compared to gas. Two things missing. Two things. And one is fire. Yes. And the other is smoke. Okay. So what I was going to say is comparing a griddle to a gas grill, to me, that griddle is keeping the thing that makes the biggest difference for me, which is you put the meat on the gas grill. Uh, the fat will start to render, will drip down uh, onto the flame tamers or whatever the hell you want to call them. Smoke's going to come back into the meat and you have a whole, that's the essence of grilling to me that you're not going to get when you're doing a steak on any type of griddle. You're, you're missing that classic grilled flavor. I'm not talking charcoal grill flavor. I'm talking just gas grill flavor because these are operating on the same fuel. So 40% is a huge market share that my mind can't get over solely because of that taste factor. And I was surprised to hear you say you agree that it could be 40%. Well, let's drill down a little bit deeper. Please, let's uh, do it. All, I do not believe that griddles will replace 40% of the grills in the market. Right. I believe that uh, griddle will become a second grill or a third grill. That's first of all. Uh, second of all, you know, if you uh, follow my uh, blog or my social media, you know that I've developed a technique that's called smoke griddling, wherein you place a griddle or a plancha on a charcoal grill. You use the charcoal to heat the griddle. You add wood chips or chunks to the fire. And then while you're griddling, you cover the grill. So in effect, you are griddling, you are planchaing uh, in the presence of wood smoke. So that's the second piece of it. The third piece of it is that a griddle enables you to cook many foods that you just simply can't cook on the grill. And I'll start with one of them, you cited steak. If you have an A5 Wagyu steak from Japan, which is at least 50% fat, if you try and grill that either on a charcoal grill or a gas grill, direct grilling, 
you're going to wind up with a conflagration. The melting fat will catch fire and the whole thing will be a mess. Uh, and even in Japan, which is a country that is absolutely obsessed by grilling, after all, that's the country that gave us the hibachi, that's the country that gave us yakitori and teriyaki. Uh, when it comes to cooking these extremely valuable, precious steaks, uh, a griddle or a plancher, what they call a tepan, is the way to go. Now, there's another reason I think that these griddles are going to become, I mean, they're becoming huge. They're going to become even huger, more huge. Uh, and that is that uh, you can cook courses, whole meals on a griddle that you can't do uh, on a grill, mm -hmm. starting with breakfast. I mean, yeah, I've had I have grilled eggs in my uh, uh, in various of my books. I've got variations on uh, grilled frittatas. But in fact, you know, if you want to make bacon, eggs, and pancakes, I mean, a griddle is fantastic for doing it. So I say in my barbecue world, there is room for both. Is it barbecue? No. Uh, is it grilling? No. Uh, is it outdoor cooking? Can it bring uh, both terrific flavor and immense satisfaction? Absolutely. <laughs> oh, look, uh, just to be clear, I'm totally 100% pro griddle but right. all i was contesting is uh As the, the percentage. 40% i mean that seems like a big ask well, I don't know. You know, we'll see. Uh, it's interesting. I, I actually happen to be writing a book on planches and griddles right now. Uh, so, and, you know, it's funny in my own evolution as a griller, uh, and I, you know, I have a large number of very big grills at my house. And the configuration that I've been using the most this summer is a plancha on my gas grill. And I will waltz the food back and forth between the plancha and the grill. Mm. Grill to get a char, plancha to finish cooking, uh, get an even sear, fatty foods on the plancha, delicate fish. Last night I did black sea bass, which is in season now in Martha's Vineyard. Mm. Absolutely spectacular. If you tried to grill it, it would fall apart when you look at it. Do you have a, a preference or a, a make of plancha that you're putting in the grill? It's obviously an accessory piece. Well, the one that I have is the one that I make in the Stephen Reichland oh. signature line. It's just a, you know, low tech cast iron metal rectangle with handles. Uh, but uh, I use it, you know, uh, you need to season it. Uh, and I do that. I, I often use that technique of smoke griddling. I think that's, that's, I mean, for me, that's, that's the uh, bridge. That's the crossover. So we're both fans of griddling, and if you're on the precipice of jumping in, please do it with both feet and then right into the show and tell us about your escapades because we'd love to talk about it here on this show. The other thing you're really good at is hosting TV shows, and this year we found Planet Barbecue going on PBS. So tell us all about how the show has unfolded, and are you hearing anything back as far as uh, ratings or successes of this season versus past? Well, you know, the show is doing great. And uh, I always have two tests that measure the success of a show. And one is a statistical carriage report, which tells you how many stations uh, are carrying the show. And at this point, it's about 350. And I think we have aired something like 30,000 times since the show launched on Memorial Day. And then uh, there's what I call either the supermarket test or the airport test. And that is when I'm shopping in the supermarket or I'm walking through an airport and somebody says, 
hey, aren't you that guy who? And uh, I can report that those uh, sightings and incidences, uh, instances are way up uh, from previous shows. So uh, we're really pleased. We're actually uh, in the process of uh, working on um, Planet Barbecue 2. Uh, it's, I think the, I think, I think actually the last, the, the next to last or the last show in the series, uh, airs this weekend and it's a show on brisket. It's called Br- brisket 24 seven. So, uh, surprises, some surprising things in that show. When you're walking through the hotel or walking down the street, as you're talking about this litmus test of how well the show's doing and people are stopping you, what's that like? Is it, uh, can it be a little weird at times or is everybody usually uh, a pretty big fan and they just want to say hi or tell you you know what they appreciate about the show maybe snap a picture you know it is immensely gratifying uh i have you know you and i have uh, two of the greatest jobs in the world and it's uh our fans that make it possible and i feel like if somebody takes the time to read one of my books or watch one watch one of my shows uh, they deserve respect, friendship, and warmth, and that's what I try and deliver. Yeah, I've yet to actually be stopped anywhere and uh, recognized at all, but I think uh, you being on a much yeah, grander scale. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I'm uh, servicing a niche audience, and a lot of my folks are audio listeners, so they probably yeah. don't even know what I look like, so maybe we've passed, and because I haven't been flapping my gums, I haven't been able to pinpoint the voice yet. Speaking of television, and it's great to hear that there's going to be a season two of Planet Barbecue. Are you watching any of the other barbecue shows that are currently on TV? Perhaps a Barbecue USA on the Food Network, which is hosted by Michael Simon, a good Cleveland boy here locally, uh, or Barbecue Brawl or some of these other shows? Or are you just like concentrated on your TV show and then outside of that, it's no TV for Steven? Yeah, you know, uh, I didn't even own a TV set until I was 37. Uh, I um, <laughs> married into one. I make TV. Uh, I have to confess, I don't watch it. Um, uh, part of that is just I'm not a TV person. But part of it also is I don't, I don't want to be influenced by what I see in somebody else's show. You know, I want to uh, kind of bring my approach to the screen and I, I, I don't want to be, I, I don't want to subconsciously copy what somebody else is doing. We talked about the popularity of griddle cooking second to that maybe, or in its own stages of what the griddle was doing is the pizza ovens. Now look, they've been around forever. The griddles have been around forever. You'd see 15 years ago, somebody bone out 10, 15, 20 grand to import the Forno oven from Italy sure. and set up a whole situation in their backyard. Well, now it's a much easier barrier to entry, a lot less expensive. Do you see the pizza oven continuing to surge in popularity and sales, or is this a trend that you see dwindling by the end of the year? Uh, you know, I can't really... Um I can't really predict that, but I do believe that the pizza oven will become a permanent part of uh, backyards and backyard cooking, much the way, you know, it used to be you owned one grill, and then you might own a grill and a smoker, and then you might own a grill and a smoker and a Kamado, and uh, so but I, I don't see it going away. I mean, you know, pizza is part of our culinary DNA. It's easier than... Some people think, uh, I think maybe people don't want to talk about it, but once they start to make the dough, everything but maybe cooking it and then cooking bring its own set of uh, agitations as well. But 
once you get your feet into it, it's it's very look. If I always equate it to the dumb factor, so I'm as dumb as they come. If I can turn out good dough, if I can make it right and I can cook it right and it's delicious, and I'm hearing it from people that I mean, they're going to tell me it's delicious because they're not paying for it, right? However, I think everybody's honest enough in my circle that if it sucked, they would tell me it sucked. If I can do it. This is so, and it's fun, and everybody can do what they want to do. It you can do it multiple times a week if you want, and it's not twenty minutes of pizza; it's two to three minutes tops. Uh, you've just answered your own question. Uh, pizza's not pizza ovens aren't going anywhere. Memphis in May, Stephen is in peril of moving from Tom Lee Park. I'm going to get into it later in the show. How many times have you been to Memphis in May? And from a historian's perspective, what do you think it would mean to the event if it moved out of Tom Lee Park for good? Uh, I have been more times than I can remember. Uh, I think it's always beautiful and majestic to uh, be smelling barbecue, watching barbecue, eating barbecue on the banks of the mighty Mississippi. Uh, so I will miss that mightily. However, um, you know, I run a little school called Barbecue University, and uh, I have moved it four times. We're actually getting ready for our new loca location at uh, the Alisal Ranch in Sullivan, California. And each time you arrive at a location, you think, well, my God, if I ever had to leave here, if everything would fall apart. But every new location brings uh, new benefits, new amenities, and um, so... I will miss Tom Lee Park, but uh, I'm sure the organizers, uh, where they decide to move it, they will try and breathe new life into it and uh, make it as good as ever. I mean, that's my hope anyway. Is that something you ever wanted to, like, have you actively cooked in a Memphis in May? Have you been part of a team and lent a hand? Uh, I have been part of a team and lent a hand. Uh, I have been a judge. I have been a reporter and I've been a civilian walking around all four of those activities. But to answer your question, I'm not, I mean, unlike many people in the field and unlike probably many of your guests, I do not come from a competition barbecue background. I come much more from a repertorial, journalistic, you know, writerly background. Well, you've dovetailed nicely into my next question. So if you had to choose to compete in one of the following contests or styles, which would it be and why? Competition steak, uh, SCA, or competition pizza, that's a thing, or competition griddling, which is also a very, very new thing. Which one would be your style and what? Well, again, I, like I say, I'm uh, less likely to compete than, rather than write up about a competition. However, I would say at this point, griddling, you know, I mean, because steak is so narrowly focused, pizza is so narrowly focused, but at the moment, griddling, it's, it's so broad, there's so many things you can do with it. Uh, and plus, you know, steak and pizza have been around a long time. Griddling is relatively new. So I think there, it'd be really interesting to see what people do in a griddle. Fall's coming, whether we like it or not. That means you're probably going to be headed back south to Miami. What's your favorite fall dish recipe, and how do you make it? It's actually a dish that we did on Planet Barbecue uh, in our Caribbean show, and it's a French, French West Indian salt slab roasted and smoked uh, butternut squash. Super easy. Cut a butternut squash or any great fall squash in half. Uh, place it cut side down on a salt slab indirect grill it ideally with wood smoke when it's soft and tender you turn it over scoop out the flesh the flesh gets mixed with uh grated cheese with scotch bonnet chilies with sauteed onions 
breadcrumbs on top, back in the squash shell, back on the grill, uh, which is now set up for indirect grilling, but super hot until it gets crusty and bubbly on the top. Super easy. You can find the recipe on barbecuebible.com uh, or watch it, you know, on Planet Barbecue, which is uh, available on Create TV and is available on screaming, uh, streaming. Screaming too. Screaming when you eat those hot bonnet, uh, scotch bonnet chilies on my website. Are you out on any tours or anything uh, from a book perspective or media perspective? You know, this is the quiet before the storm. Oh. Uh, heading out to uh, Alice, the Alice uh, Ranch for Barbecue University at the end of uh, August. Then down to Miami. Then uh, I'm up to Nashville for an event. Uh, back to Martha's Vineyard briefly, then uh, up to uh, Quebec City and uh, the uh, Windstar Cruise Line, which, you know, has three Stephen Reichlin, uh, Star Grill by Stephen Reichlin restaurants on board. And we're going to be preparing the 2024 menu. Mm -hmm. uh, so working on that on the ships. Uh, so, uh, you know, like I say, it's uh, I've got 10 days that seem quiet and then, you know, I'll be in airports more often than uh, then I'll be home. Getting ready to burn it up is our guest Stephen Reichlin barbecuebible.com the website check out the TV show at least the last couple episodes if you've missed them and then stream them so you can get caught up in the archive Stephen always appreciate the time thanks for coming on tonight thank you you do a great job Greg thanks, thanks a Stephen. lot bye bye that's Stephen Reichlin right there barbecuebible.com is the website and if you've never been go there there's plenty of recipes if you're always looking for something new it's a great resource to look at and the recipes are always very approachable and never snooty or anything like that. Always grilling and barbecue focused. I think that's the best way to put it. So, and Stephen, always a professional out right on time, never looking to hang on too long or run over segments, which I certainly appreciate. And that's why not only is he a barbecue hall of famer, he's a barbecue central shows guest hall of famer and a James Beard award winning author as well. Wow. He is unbelievable. Stephen Reichlin. All right. Uh, West Wright is ready to go from cookoutnews.com. Before we get to Wes, we're talking about the ceramic cooker, but more importantly, the primo. Well, what did I get in the mail? I know one of the apprehensions of getting a ceramic cooker, Primo, for instance, is getting this thing started. Oh, I got to mess around with the charcoal and my hands are going to get dirty. And I'll shut up. Who can unlock a man? So dump the charcoal in there. And if you don't want to get a torch lighter and you don't want to mess around with the charcoal chimney for whatever reason, there's this thing on the internet, if you go to Amazon, it says uh, Blaza Ball. Fogo Charcoal sells it. B-L-A-Z-A Ball. And it's this metal contraption. I should have brought it down. So you can undo it. Stick two, like, tumbleweed fire starters in there, and then you re-secure it. Put it down in the... And then light it. Now it's protected. Jump the charcoal into your Primo. Shut the hatch. Open the top and bottom dampers all the way. Let the draft start and now your fire starters are protected with this neat little metal contraption it's like a cave for fire starters you get your primo up and running and now you're off to cooking 
You want to set it up for two zone? Fine. Put the divider down in the fire chamber. Put the coals on one side. Put your deflector plate. Then put the meat on top of the grill grate. You can do it like that. Cook it indirect or smoke roast, as Stephen Reichland was talking about. And then at the end, once you get it where you want, you want to give it a little heat, a little searing, a little crisping of skin if you're doing chicken or duck or whatever. Take it off the indirect side, put it right over the coals. Boom. What's the best thing about running a ceramic cooker? Once the ceramics get hot, this thing is a fuel miser. It's not like every other cooker out there that's just burning and burning and wasting. This thing becomes more efficient the hotter it gets. So you can get done with the cook, close the bottom vent, close the top vent, the fire snuffs itself out. Now you have reusable charcoal. You can use it for the next cook. You can take what's left, put it in that charcoal chimney, or use that blaza ball, put it on top, or put it underneath all that pre-used, used? Pre-used. The used charcoal, start that, and then put more charcoal on top of it. Few other cookers allow you the ability to snuff that fire all the way out. But a Primo does, yes. PrimoGrill.com. Find a dealer near you, visit them, check out all the ovals, and then buy the one that fits your needs. I recommend the XL. Don't make the mistake of buying down for money and then regretting you wish you would have bought up. PrimoGrill.com. We'll be back with Wes Wright right after this. Stick around. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Show. Stern, Jim Rome, Dan Patrick, and Greg Rampey. The Mountain Rushmore of talk show entertainment. Now, let's get back to the Barbecue Central Show. All right, we thank Stephen Reichland for joining us last segment. BarbecueBible.com, his website. And this portion being brought to you by Fireboard. Monitor up to six different temperatures simultaneously. Connect to Wi-Fi for cloud-based monitoring or connect via Bluetooth if you have Alexa or the Google Assistant in your home. Fireboard is fully integrated with those as well. You can find out more by visiting Fireboard.com or call 816-945-2232. And don't forget about the Fireboard Spark. My next guest is the creator of the cookoutnews.com website. And third Tuesday of the month, regular guest here to talk about the latest in the live fire news industry. I don't think that was right. It's uh, Wes Wright, of course. Wes, before we get to all of the different manufacturers we want to cover, first, we will hit the YouTube poll question of the week. And I'm asking everybody, you agree with what Roger Daly from Blackstone said, griddles will command 40% of the market sooner than later, yes or no? Uh, I'm going to say no. That seems pretty high. Believe it or not, right here as we sit, 9.38 p.m. on 8-15-2023, it's a 50-50 split with YouTube. Just five seconds ago, it was 57% on the nay side, but somebody else jumped in, obviously. And has brought it neck and neck. Stephen Reichland thought 40% was absolutely doable. I just think that's a damn big number. I love Roger Daly. I love griddling. I'm going to get one here very quickly. And I'm going to be able to take part in all the madness. I just think as a numbers guy and a sales guy and a market share guy who, who likes to study that kind of stuff. 40% for that cooker is reaching. Do you think? 
Yeah. I mean, if you just think about the breakdown of the market right now, that's like saying everybody that has a charcoal grill and everybody that has a pellet grill also has a griddle or even more so because you dilute it. So you need to replace all those numbers with griddles. That's a lot. I mean, that's a big ask. Yeah. We'll see how it goes and we'll keep you updated here. So we got plenty of different manufacturers to get through here. Let's start with the big dog in the house always. That's Traeger. And Jeremy Andrus says that they have more or less cleared off inventory issues. Is that just from old inventory that was clogged up from pandemic times? Or what does that look like? Yeah, that that's all that stockpile they built up through the pandemic. And with all the inbound shipping issues, they you know had an oversupply and... It, it looks like from the information they, they provided that it's uh, finally made its way through their channels. So, you know, at small dealers, Ace Hardware's, uh, Home Depot's, and it, it was kind of something similar to today. Home Depot said their inventory levels are a lot better. So, you know. Does this help other manufacturers too? Will, will retailers put in orders for other stuff now that the glut is clear? Or clear? I think you'll see it. Yeah, you'll see a normalization next grilling season. You know, we're already getting to fall. It's fast approaching. So there's not going to be a ton of uh, of new orders, I wouldn't think. Um, you know, middle B with their outdoor brands, though, they, they seemed like they had a higher stockpile of inventory. They were less confident they were at the bottom. So it might be a little bit uh, manufacturer dependent, too. The flat rock for Traeger is selling better than perhaps anything else that they're offering at the moment. And they're having issues keeping up with demand. It is a supply chain issue. Is it just, uh, look, I think in the heavy duty truck industry at this point, I can't believe I'm going to say this out loud, that the truck manufacturers are faking uh, issues of not being able to make trucks in order to keep demand at hand for as long as they can. They don't want to normalize. They don't want to get back to what it was like pre-pandemic because they can build less trucks and make a hell of a lot more money than they were before this. And that's what they're using. Is this a similar issue where they're creating demand or this is, is really demand that they just can't meet? I, I think it's that, and this is my interpretation. They, they never said what that number was that they're hitting. I think they, you know, had in inventory and sales issues. So they wanted to start small with this being a new product. It's a non-pellet grill. So I think it's a, a case of uh, under commit and over deliver where, you know, you just start small, um, you know, and, and they say they have inventory issues. I, 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 anytime I go to the local ACE, I, I see one sitting on the floor. So maybe it's not, you know, in Metro Detroit, it's elsewhere, but uh, I, I, you know, I think they just started out slow with all the other issues they were having, and, and they look to get caught back up later towards Christmas. When you look at the bottom line here from the earnings call, Flat Rock and Meter seem to be doing very well. But the very bottom line shows that Traeger's still a loser at this point on the bunny side. So how do they fix that? I, I think inventory is a big issue because they're not getting sales because they had so much inventory through all their, their channel sales. So it'll be interesting, I think, as we round out this year, now that they've said they don't have inventory issues, that should mean they get sales that are back to, to normalization. So they should in Q3 and Q4 then have some some decent sales uh, compared to their, their comps. So does that mean they're making money at the end instead of losing money? 
I don't think on a yearly basis. I think, I think by next year they'll be making money. I because there's there's you can't miss on grilling season and then make it up. There's just not enough sales left in the year. But it would be an ongoing money make at that point. So whenever they cross over into making money, then that will just continue to be the trend. They will have weathered the storm. Or can you operate as a grill company and do really well on a lot of things and just lose money every month and still be okay? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's not like a tech company where you're you're you know a startup and you just raise capital that you burn continually. So they do have to make money, especially as a publicly traded company. Um, but you know, for anyone that doesn't understand too, that the inventory issue is that when there's inventories, like let's say at Home Depot, there's a ton of inventory, they're not buying new orders from Traeger. So they'll be selling product, but they're not replenishing that product by actually showing sales to Traeger. So it, once that all gets worked through the system and it's operating normally, then, you know, next year sometime, they should be back to a moneymaker. If we flipped over to Middleby, you had mentioned before that they weren't as keen on the inventory outlook as Traeger was. Is it because they just have more brands or they were more overstocked or they weren't selling as well? Yeah, I think I don't think they have the volume sales that that Traeger does is my guess. Um, and they're, you know, that Traeger is a pretty popular brand and uh, they get sold through a lot, you know, through Home Depot and big box stores where uh, Middleby, you know, they have, you know, I like their brands, but they I, they're not definitely as well known. There, there was a comment on, on the call. And the guy, the guy said this in like a positive way, but he said, you know, I called a bunch of uh, retailers and more than half never even heard of any of the brands you guys sell. So he, and he said, that's great opportunity. But to me, I was like, wow. So people don't even know what these brands are. So that just goes to show they're not the same level as Traeger in terms of popularity. But they're bigger. It, like as a whole, wise, like cap wise, they're, they're much bigger than Traeger. They are, but they're a little different they have a huge commercial business and they keep buying more and more commercial businesses so like commercial kitchens mm. that's a, a large part of their their portfolio beyond you know the outdoor brands we know and like viking they have a lot of in, indoor stuff but then they sell like you know like commercial dishwashers and commercial beverage fillers things like that so that's a much bigger piece of their portfolio connected joe is selling well but I don't know what selling well means compared to what. Yeah, I think that's another Traeger response. Um, that's, you know, they're selling well, meaning compared to our others that aren't selling well is I, the way I interpret that. Because people, I mean, people will buy uh, technology is one of the themes. And then also it's a situation where you don't have inventory build up because it's a new product. So you can't, you know, it just came out. So there's no inventory for it. So it's, you know, they probably tampered expectations compared to their other brands and it's meeting those expectations. I, I still, I don't see connected Joe's anywhere I go though. So I, I do, you, I, I mean, no. okay. <laughs> I barely see, I barely see Kamado Joe anywhere I go. Right. And I'll go into home depots quite a bit. And every once in a while, I'll see one, and I think it's the large, not even the, the extra large. But I rarely see them anywhere. The only person I know that has one was Christy Vanover when she was on the show talking about it. Otherwise, I don't even know a human that has one in person. Yeah, yeah, same here. I, You know, I see at like the independent independent dealers i see you know primo or big green egg and i see at the big box i i, I just don't see kamado joe's so I, I don't know where they sell through 
Let's transition over to W.C. Bradley. Uh, they carry brands like Oklahoma Joe and Charbroil, things like this. And, of course, they most recently purchased the pellet cookers from Danson's, so the pit boss line of cookers that everybody knows. Uh, files for trademarks for something called a Tahoma Grill. In your article that you wrote on cookoutnews.com, you didn't know anything specifically. But if you were going to speculate on what's coming down the pike here, what do you see with a name like Tahoma Grill? To me, that sounds like a like a big charcoal grill. And Oklahoma Joe's, you know, they've had a lot of cool charcoal grills they released this year. Um, that one that's a split barrel and that Marshall Center Stack are both uh, cool designs. So my guess is it's going to follow along with that. Um, Charborough, they only have a few charcoal grills um, that, you know, they stock there and they don't push them that much. So uh, that's my guess. It's, it's, it's an Oklahoma Joe's product. Just a wild guess. I feel like Oklahoma Joe's should be better. Nobody knows, like, we're talking about the Kamado Joe, and do you know anybody that has one? I've had a handful of Oklahoma Joe products over the last five or six years, and the quality is good, and the price point is good, and the performance is good. That Ryder DLX pellet cooker, I just used it to cook chicken um, today because there was a huge rainstorm coming in, and I didn't want to get caught messing around with the primo and in a deluge and of course i'm more protective of it because i love that cooker and i'll throw caution to the wind with the oklahoma joe but that thing just works great there's a it doesn't matter to me there's if for 10 or for a thousand bucks 1100 bucks whatever the retail is on that some people might think there should be more tech on it but i don't care about that it's as big Roughly is my Timberline 850. It's got a lot of room on it. It cooks really well. There's some things that I could change about it, but nothing that I hate about it. I just don't feel like people really know about Oklahoma Joe either and how good QPR is on that. Yeah, I I, I mean, I have kind of the same sentiment. I, I like the brand. Um, I have an association with them with you know their offset smokers, and I don't know if the other people do, and so they don't get into their other products. Mm. Um, I, I don't see their pellet grills stocked at a lot of places either. You know, sort of like so. Uh, I I don't know if that contributes to it that that's just not you know what they're doing yet. I but I, like I said, I you know they have had some really cool stuff come out. I hope they continue down that line, and I think a few years down the road we might see some changes with that. If you have too many brands under your umbrella can could this be an instance of a brand just falling victim to it's getting brushed to the side unknowingly and then not receiving the media that it needs to yeah i mean that's definitely a possibility it'll be interesting to see what they do with pit boss and oklahoma joe's because you know there's <laughs> some overlap there and pit boss has like a hundred different skews for pellet grills so they need some skew rationalization for sure um but yeah, I, I don't know what they're, what kind of their, what they want to, it to grow into. So I'm, I'm curious, you know, what Oklahoma Joe's thinks of that brand. <laughs> I think the Oklahoma Joe stuff is going to go away from a pellet cooker standpoint. If you're bringing in pit boss, I think that's yeah. going to be the showcase line. You might even whittle down some of the skews there and figure out what sells best and start to showcase those more and put those out more. Yeah, probably. What would you do with Louisiana grills, though? I feel like that's. Uh, I think I that's never out. See those. I think that's. Yeah, I think that's done. That's uh, that's a high level product. I remember talking with Jeff Teeson at the HPB Expo, and he said specifically that Louisiana was their 
get out of the box line and test all sorts of weird stuff on. And, you know, if it works, you can put it in uh, a high line model and there's a customer base for that. But I think now that it's sold and it's going into WC Bradley, they're not going to be messing around with an elite priced pellet cooker when that's not really their their niche and where they live so i I think that's gonna that maybe they resell that or it just gets put off to the side and never revisit it again yeah you know something else that actually both pit boss and oklahoma joe's does is they release a lot of lowe's exclusives so i don't Mm -hmm. know if that that creates you know money from them for on a margin perspective but it prevents the brand from growing because then you're not going into a lot of different stores so you know that might be some of it too you have your hands on a franklin's barbecue pit offset the traditional looking texas style offset how do you like i'm loving it it's great it's it's uh you know it's 600 pounds of steel so it holds temperature really good when i'm done using it i'll i'll even you know i want to wrap it up before i go to go to bed so i'll take all the charcoal out and the thing still holds like 150 degrees for mm-hmm. you know like hours after i'm done it's just it's real easy to operate you know did you have offset experience before getting the franklin cooker I did, but just on cheap ones where I'm just, you know, feeding fires and it's temperatures are swinging up and down all day. This was easy to learn. Yeah, it was, you know, if let me, let me re-ask that question. Yeah. Are you using like starting it with charcoal and then switching the splits to run it? Or are you just using charcoal and maybe a split here and there for wood smoke? How are you actually fueling it? Yeah. So for, you know, mainly time constraints. What I do is I, I take a charcoal chimney just to create some heat in there and I'll put it in there, but then it's all wood from Mm -hmm. that point out. So I do that, build a fire in it, get a nice charcoal bed once I'm at temperature. And then I'm just feeling pure, purely off wood. Um, but it's, it's pretty easy. You need like, you know, uh, we'll say a six to eight inch split will hold 250 for 30 minutes, you know, 20 or 30 minutes. So, you know, if you're coming from, uh, like a pellet grill or charcoal that holds really well, it's like, it's a next logical step. Obviously it's like, because it's, you're not sitting there just feeding fires the whole time. You're, you know, you can do a little bit, do something else and then keep coming back to it at, you know, at 20 to 30 minute intervals. What about the flavor? You think there's a marked difference? Uh, compared to like pellet grills or pellet grills or, you know, any other cooker for that matter. Yeah. I, I'm, I really love offsets. I think, you know, the, you get such a clean wood flavor out of them, um, that tastes different than charcoal. Uh, I, that's, it's one of my favorite things to have, have food off of. And, you know, and there is just a fun factor where you're just hanging out by a fire and just keeping it going, you know, what's the cost? Um, it goes fifty one fifty. I think is is the retail on it. How do you think their success at growing dealers is going to be given the popularity of pellet cookers and griddles right now? You know, I think eventually it, it might feed into it. I think there's a cohort of the population that learns on a Traeger or a different pellet grill, and then you know. What, what's nice about a pellet grill is you can really learn, you know, seasoning, meat prep, things like that, and just kind of get down the overall process of cooking. And then if you go then to an offset from that, you can work on that craft of barbecue a little more and you just then have to pan, pay attention to that new aspect of wood, but you already are good at all the other stuff. So I think you'll see 
a part of the population going to things like that or to, you know, a Kamado style or, or another grill where they want a little more flavor and they want to kind of have it more of a craft than a pellet grill, which, you know, you're, you're just doing meat prep and then kind of put it on there. It's, it's not too hard. Wes Wright is the creator of cookoutnews.com, which you should be reading multiple times a week. Wes, always appreciate the time, and we will see you in September. Yeah, thanks for having me, Greg. You got it. Wes Wright. Again, cookoutnews.com. And if you are interested in that Franklin barbecue pit, I think you can just go over to Franklin's main website, and there should be a link to his barbecue pits there. Uh, 5150, so a little bit more than entry level, but... I think you're paying for Aaron's expertise. He is a probably not as well-known pit builder as he should be. I remember John Marcus saying 12, 13 years ago that he's just an absolute wizard when it comes to putting pits together. So now they are available for sale, and they are trying to set up a dealer network across the country. So if you know somebody that's looking to bring in offset cookers and they would like to partner with the Franklin name, I would put those two in contact with each other. In fact, you can send them to me because I know one of the guys that Franklin's is trying to get this deal going. So I'm happy to be a connector. All right, uh, let's go ahead and wrap up the first hour. Stick around. We'll be right back. Continuing to produce incredibly mediocre content in an exceptionally professional way. You're listening and watching the Barbecue Central Show. Once again, here's your host, Greg Rampey. Hey, welcome back, and we thank Wes Wright from cookoutnews.com for joining us last segment, covering a number of topics in the business of live fire, the transacting event, getting his first-hand take on what he is digging about the Franklin Offset Pit. 51.50, I believe he said, was the retail price on that one. So if you're in the market for an offset pit, why not give that a look as well? There was an article that Wes wrote on cookoutnews.com, and I'm trying to remember what the name of the manufacturer was. It was a big offset pit manufacturer. I'm going to the website right now. Cookoutnews.com. Who was it? Oh, mill scale. Right. So I don't know what your level of nerddom is when it comes to offset pit makers, but mill scale is one of the elite pit manufacturers out of Texas right now. I mean, there's just a number of elite pit manufacturers in Texas. Mill scale, Sentex. Uh, the guy I used to have on the show that used to make workhorse pits, or maybe it is workhorse pits now. It used to was something else, and then you got my guys at Pits and Spits, and you got Dave Close, who's a legend. You got Rich Robin, the Gator Pit, who's a legend. I mean, there's so many great offset pits. A pit maker out there in Texas as well, George and the gang. And what's up, George? How you live? It's been a minute. So mill scale was what I was thinking. So they just put on 10,000 square feet. So I think maybe we're seeing a turn to offset cookers again. Why not? Maybe Wes is right. You're learning on the pellet cooker. Now you want the challenge. I disagree with that. I say 
you don't have to learn how to do anything. I don't want to learn anything about that. That's why pellet cookers are so nice. All right, let's go ahead and wrap this first hour up as we point to the second hour. Refresh libation. And we will see you back here in just a few short minutes. You're listening and watching the Barbecue Central Show right here on the Barbecue Central Network. Stick around. We'll be right back.